Welcome back to episode one of the Service Management Social. This week, we're looking at PR for service management and joining us is Amy Gavin, David Barrow, Rob York and Simon Reeves. Um, so this is part two. If you didn't get an opportunity to tune in yesterday, the link can be found below. Uh, but let's jump straight back into it. And our next topic um, is, is about driving business through um, or driving business value through IT. So a significant number of organizations are facing severe financial pressure and value is traditionally associated with cost savings. Today, how does service management drive perceived business value from IT apart from direct financial reduction? So let's, um, let's start with David this time. Thank you. Well, I think there's, there's many ways. I'm not gonna have the time to talk about them all today. So I'm gonna focus on one. And, and how I believe that sort of drives value and, and that's experience. So often in information technology, IT and outsourcing, we're, we're can sometimes be guilty of just measuring kind of constituent parts of a service. So that would be availability, uptime. Um, but as we mentioned in the previous episode, that doesn't necessarily mean a great deal to the person at the end of that service. Um, and you have this concept of watermelon SLAs where we go monthly service review with our client or our supplier and everything that's green on the outside. But when you break it down through the middle, it's red. Um, and that's because we're not necessarily measuring the right thing. And, you know, we in service management, we're, we're across a service um, from its defined stage all the way through production, provide and respond and, and we set the governance. And, but the, the one thing we must always consider is the consumer. So I believe XLAs or XLA experience level agreements are a real valuable tool to measure the value to the business of an IT services or a set of IT services. And it's actually really rare that I find truly consumer focused service levels. And this goes back to my time working in outsourcing where I would look at the service levels, go and sit in front of my business partner and almost be embarrassed to say we're green across the board isn't it perfect when i knew there were 1200 calls that month about the response time of the service but unfortunately response times weren't part of the service levels so i've, I've been really keen and didn't really have a name for xlas at that point this is uh, 10 or 12 years ago um, but what i've also found is in service management and in outsourcing and SIAM agreements is vendors that are really actually quite far removed from the consumer and from the service from where it is today as to what it was when they signed up to their deal to provide the service and, and so they're actually delivering something slightly different and a, and a small amount of difference can make a massive impact to the consumer. Um, so it's really important that we measure experience of the consumer, but also understand from our internal vendors or our external vendors that they're still delivering a service that befits the experience the consumer actually requires. Um, so taking a service and continually asking its users, although not so much that that then becomes a, a hassle or a burden for them, uh, um, but helping understand their service happiness and their service experience and any lost time they may have had as a result of using that service is a really good experience level because not only does it add value for the service, it also enables the retention of customers, which is something that we in IT have not always been good at doing because we're focused maybe on the wrong thing. So for me, um, experience is, is one of the real key areas that we can add value to a business. 
And how, how uh, you know, would you measure that and how would you present that back to, say, someone in charge of, of kind of financial control, so CFO, finance director and, and, and so on and so forth? Well, there's some really simplistic ways like NPS in terms of the uh, net promoter score for a service. It's, you know, it's a really simple measure, but it has a very big, um, you know, very big impact. And then how you how you actually work with your consumers to understand how they're measuring and why they're measuring is the sort of thing you can take back to a CFO. And you can actually say this isn't about investment. This isn't about money. We have the skills in place. We have the infrastructure in place, we have the tools in place, we have the contracts in place. What we don't have in place are the correct smart measures. And the investment we need from you may not be, um, you know, a, a big operating expenditure. It might just be an investment in training or mentoring or bringing people on board to that particular vision. And so you look for an impactor because um, your CFO is your influencer and you look, you look for impactors, people that make a difference within a process that delivers that particular service. And you work with those people to improve. Um, or you work with those processes to improve because it's not necessarily always about the people. And so I've been in that position where they've expected me to go asking for money and going back to that service management, um, service delivery monthly cycle because that's what they're used to expecting. And I've gone there saying, I don't want your money, I need your time. I need your time to help me set some goals for the teams that enables them to deliver this service in this way. So it's not always about cash. Fantastic. And, and obviously, uh, I suppose Rob and, and Simon, um, you, you've both, both worked in organizations that are from my standpoint anyway, I, I see them as investing fairly heavily in, in technology. Um, both kind of the, the, the legacy kind of systems and technologies they have in place, but equally um, kind of future-proofing IT, cloud services and, and what have you. So do you, I suppose, how have you seen it in, in those kind of organizations where the, the purse strings are, I don't want to say looser, but there, there's certainly, there's more of a willingness and appetite to, to spend that money. Yeah. Rob, do you want Yeah, sure. So, I, I think, and as David was talking there, you know, the, the difference between different sectors, because we're having that conversation with the, the finance director and the CIO, et cetera, is what they're, they're looking for um, is, is a different view, perceived value. Um, to that point is, if we've got an acquisition, um, obviously the savings from getting that organization on board and to move things quickly, and therefore you want to do that and not be held back um, and there's an element of risk comes into that. So to deliver that, that value to the business, um, it, it time and actually being able to move quickly, agile, um, DevOps, all these type of things to a fast moving organization um, is where they see value um, and getting something in. We did a transformation I was involved with once. Um, there were challenges and the CEO actually came over um, and said, guys, we, we need to nail this. Um, and it's not going to be a polished diamond, but we need to nail it. Not every organization will accept a non-polished diamond um, for various reasons. But the thing I've seen there is it is aligning to that because you, you can have stats and you can have service level agreements and everything else. But if you don't nail it um, and hit that, that, that is they're prepared to take, as I say, a slightly rough diamond to do it. So that's my experience, but Simon? 
Yeah, I, I mean, we could talk about this one for a long time. It's something I'm really passionate about. So um, IT service management is a profit center. It's not a cost center. That's the first thing I'd say. It, it, it actually adds value to the business. In, in, if service management wasn't there, the business would, would, be, would be losing money. So see it as a profit center for starters. Any money you invest in IT service management will bring you more back in business value. The question is, how do you quantify that? So cost avoidance, uh, you're looking at your end of life, end of support, the effective management of legacy technology, um, the, um, integration with um, project and portfolio activity and the ability to change. So ent enter new markets, use new technologies at a faster rate, um, reduction of risk through effective governance, reduction of legal impact. There are there are lists and lists and lists, but I, I, would, I would put it to say, um, think of service management as a, as a profit center and that um, you know, there's, a, there's a huge value in, in, in the capability. Fantastic. And Amy, I, I suppose, um, I don't know how to dress this, this one up for, for you, but I was going to say within Savills, it's, it's got a number of different um, kind of service lines or, or business offerings within yeah. it. You know, some with very kind of narrow profit margins, others with extremely large profit margins or, or larger profit margins, I should say. So how is it kind of perceived and what's your approach to, well, first of all, IT spend, um, but more specifically where the business is seeing value in, in IT services and beyond, beyond the spend and the costs, sorry. Um, I think the spend and the costs is, is very line of business driven. Um, depending on the line of business depends what technology they need and also depends on how much they're willing to invest in it but from a service management perspective what i have tried to do is put a model that fits every line line of business as we've said earlier that you can you have to adapt to each of those but there are um again we grow a bit by acquisition and we sort of take over the management of some big sites and things like that quite and we have to be prepared to move quickly so we do now have an almost cookie cutter approach which yes you have to tweak time and time again but the basics are there in terms of so it enables us to um to move very quickly on things like acquisitions and new big business wins and, and stuff like that, uh, which has really actually sped up our time to market quite dramatically. Um, and that has had a big business benefit, uh, just having knowing what your repeatable processes are and knowing how to engage them and how to get them up and running quick is, is key. Um, we also do a hell of a lot of uh, net promoter scores and that kind of stuff, which I was a little bit dubious of at first because I was thinking, well, I'm not quite sure how we're going to it is treating the business like a consumer and I wasn't quite sure how it would fit with our environment, but it's actually worked really, really well. We've highlighted areas now because we do them by division. So we can see which divisions and which line of business are happy with the service and which are not so happy. And then we can tailor our approaches that way. Um, again, proving to be very effective. Uh, we do not have a full SLA with the business at Savills for in terms of incident fix and stuff like that. And I actually think that's a great thing. I mean, it's brilliant. It, it means that we don't measure ourselves on that four-hour fix, or that it is very much done on satisfaction and perception and how the business is feeling. Um, it, again, it is a lot harder to quantify when you are sitting in front of people and you're saying, "Oh, but we're doing a great job. We'll prove it." You know, so we do have to fall back on anecdotal evidence sometimes, and as I said, the NPS and that kind of thing, but actually in terms of having happier end users, it's great. 
and it makes I think it we, we were actually looking at um, co-sourcing with somebody the other day um, just part of the business and, and I was saying it's great because you'll have a, a, an SLA for engineers out to your sites and your offices oh no we don't want an SLA what, well, why is that then because um, they might hold us to it <laughs> whereas you guys if we say it's really quick you drop everything and you come it's not quite like that but that's how it's perceived whereas if they've got a formal SLA of an eight hour fix they really think they're gonna have to wait eight hours for someone to come to site so it's, it's a really interesting um how IT is perceived in Savills is quite different to how I've, in places I've worked before. But I, I think it's because that barrier has really been broken down quite a lot. Fantastic. I, uh, I think, oh. Chris, if I could just come in, I think to David and Amy's point just there, um, I've seen an example where SLAs have been exceeded um, by a third party, um, but the CIO has wanted a meeting to discuss why are the charts showing green and everything else, but my phone and everything else, my ears are being bashed because the business isn't seeing it's that happy. and isn't interested in a green chart because reality or the perception um, is that's not how it is. So I think the point that um, Amy and David, you both right, absolutely spot on seeing that firsthand. And then, of course, it's okay, what are we going to do about that? Yeah. And it's, it's very much as much as hearts and minds now. And I, I think it's really important when, when I'm training up first line people or I'm interviewing service desk staff. Um, for me, it's you make friends with the people you're, you're dealing with. It's That's very important. If somebody phones up from the CIO to whoever they are in the business, you treat them the same and you make friends with them. And it's great if you can remember somebody's name or you know, their daughter was doing their exams, how did they get on? Because that way it actually makes it more of a an experience rather than I've got a problem, I'm going to phone up and get this sorted. It makes it more of, um, it's engaging and, and also people find it harder to complain with somebody they're friends with. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Very That's true, very true. David mentioned earlier about ITIL 4 and, and talking about the concept of, of customer, consumer, user, and the different kind of stakeholders. And I think we've talked, talked quite a bit around kind of XLAs and user experience, but mm. we're looking at the different stakeholders. One, one of the things to, to the point earlier around, what would the CFO care about for an X, XLA? It's about relating that to that stakeholder. So the reduction in attrition, um, the increase that. in employee satisfaction, um, and all of, all of those kind of slightly, slightly less tangible uh, um, kind of reference points, I think, something which different stakeholders would, would find useful a risk a chief risk officer yeah. re reducing the risk yeah. in our end of life end of support estate which mm. has huge business value because it means our patterns of cost are more predictable moving forward um, yeah. and that, that's valuable to them as a stakeholder so, so to steer just a little off piece and I, I suppose address the the elephant in the room with with the the times we found ourselves in over the last kind of six, seven, eight months with COVID as an example, specifically, do you think that has almost in itself put to the fore the importance of service management due to the, the, the time in which you've been able to spin up remote working and the experience that's come off the back of people being able to do so and potentially the uplift in, in performance of sales teams or IT teams or, or productivity within HR or whatever else it may be? Yeah, I mean, I mean for... sorry, David, after you. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm actually just going to relate straight back to, to Amy's example. If you've got people dealing with your people in a friendly, polite, knowledgeable manner, 
in a stressful situation, they're going to be happier and they're going to be able to perform and help your business. If you're dealing with people on a service level based manner where they phone you with a, um, and also the whole the whole support portfolio has changed because no longer are you using or necessarily using kits supplied by your employer on your employer's site within your employer's control. You are now in your own environment. Um, you may prefer that. You may not prefer that. It may be stressful for you. It may be better for you. All that said, if you're being dealt with in a in a consumer friendly manner and made to feel good and understood, that's only going to help your business. And so from what I've just heard from Amy, I'm sure that has been really, really good for the staff calling that service desk help desk because they felt good when they've put that phone down. I know of other companies where they haven't adapted their knowledge management or their incident management where people have been voting with their feet. And so that's how, in a nutshell, how I see it's changed in the last seven or eight months. And, and one more thing, no longer do I want to pick up a phone to any supplier that I deal with in here during this time. We've had eight months to adapt now. And that's my personal rant that people should have adapted by now. Chris, we should have, we should have asked this question to the head of IT service management from Zoom, uh, which we're recording on today. Yes. Going to yeah, yeah, yeah. 10, 10 million user interface in December last year to 300 million in May. So without IT service management, Zoom would not have been able to scale at that level to support their user base at that level. Um, and, and that that shows the the, the kind of the, the art of a very effective IT function um, delivering to a global consumer base. But I think I think in, interestingly with with COVID, and I think I've probably talked for all of us, most organizations have gone from being able to satisfy 10, 20, 30 percent of our workforce working remotely to now 99.9 percent. .9%, you know, yeah. it's probably just desk side support uh, who are building laptops who we still got working for, for most of us. Um, so you know, again, without service management, we wouldn't have been able to spin up those Citrix farms, the, 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 the authentication via RSA for VPN users, um, our collaboration tools, WebEx, Zoom, etc. We wouldn't have been able to do that without our, our functions. So the interesting point, so, so I'm just to chime in there, I, I've worked remote um, for a long time, eight years. And what's interesting in, in what's happened, whereas I was kind of seen as the odd one out before, is that obviously during what's happened now, um, no longer do you hear the terminology, when are you next in the office? Uh, mm. that, that, that's definitely gone. Um, and that used to be put as, yeah, okay, right, I'm busy or whatever and dismissive and Amy, to your point, uh, that wasn't great customer satisfaction that yes, I've gone through the process technology, but at the end of the day, you don't sound very keen to resolve an issue. Whereas today the world has changed mm. um, or it should have changed to David's point. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not gonna go back. That, that now those things have gone away and people need to communicate better when they can to deliver better value. And that's received and perceived. So um, I'm happy now I don't get those excuses and demands. And I think as well, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a storm of brewing. As in the news, we hear about how our world's going to change and how it's hopefully going to go back to, to normal. There'll be a number of people sat in positions in companies thinking about what do we do next with our staff? Do we bring them all back into the office and pretend like nothing ever happened? 
do we continue as we are? How does that how does that matter to our real estate portfolio and and, and the people that work on site? But going back to people, which I believe is what service management is really about, how will people feel up Ooh. here and emotionally going back to where they used to work? You know, how, how has this impacted? So I think there's a real storm looming about how you've seen technology companies especially say nobody's coming back to work until summer 2021 or end of 2021. Other people are less progressive about that because they've got their own ideas. So I think that's something that's looming. And, and again, to go back to Simon's point, in IT service management, we are going to be a key component to enable whatever those people decide. And hopefully will be a key component to influence what they decide as well. Yeah. That's what I'd like to do. You mentioned there that obviously to you, the people within service management make service management what it is. A uh, big part of that is, is collaboration, right? So do you, do you feel that there is better collaboration now people are working remotely? Do you think people are more understanding of what the, the people to the left and to the right of them do? And, and, and if they don't play their part or do their thing in the right way, how it may have an impact, a knock-on kind of effect, say, on, on the service desk or, you know, a, a sort of a development team, whatever else it may be for that matter. I mean, that's, yeah. that's open to anyone, really. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to Amy's point earlier around when interviewing kind of a service desk agent or kind of a service manager. Um, and, and, and to your point then, Chris, about collaboration skills and empathy skills, um, things like um, the, uh, Sophia um, Skills Framework for the International Age, um, um, that, that kind of really highlights the skills required to work in IT service management and the, and the softer skills, the collaborative skills, the, 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 the less technical skills that are needed. And, and that's something which kind of ITSM professionals generally have in buckets. Yeah. I always find you can teach the technology. And it's harder to teach that empathy and and that soft skill side of things. EQ, that's what uh, I think you used to kind of go on quite a lot yeah. about, Simon. I used to EQ. Your team. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, is there anything else on, on this topic specifically that, that anyone would like to, to kind of cover off or address? I, I, I think, as Amy, Amy's just said from my point, and, and as Dave said, as we go forward, uh, and a lot of organizations saying are saying sort of like middle of next year into next year. Um, if, we, if we take the world of deliveries now, one of the things we all suffer from, I think, is if you have a family, is constant deliveries coming to your door. Um, the world has gone on now to ordering everything um, more than it did and accelerated. I, I think one of the quotes I heard was it's moved on five years in a few months. So when the workforce goes back, They've adapted, they've, they've moved on, but the office has. And to your point, that storm coming, you know, organizations have to address that because it isn't just going to be, oh, we're all back and carry on. Because a lot of people have changed um, and also people's views on things. What, what was important to us and the mad commute and everything else, um, you know, our eyes have all been open to something different, whatever that may be. And that, that's not great for everybody, but it's different. It will have an impact. And, and things won't be the same again, I think. And service management, the people part of it, and when we get on to technology and all of that, it is, is how do we do that? Because social interaction now, we, we can't necessarily get that body language that you can always get in the office. Um, we've had to use our ears and, and other ways of understand. We've all evolved in the business environment. And it's going to be very interesting to see where that takes us. Yeah, 